and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. My name is Bill Wirtz and I'm joined today with uh, your favorite co-host, Fabio Fernandez. Fabio, how's it going? Hi, Bill. Thank you so much for having me again here. I'm doing well. Uh, I'm, I'm happy that the summer is over. Now getting uh, nice weather here in Milan uh, and I'm happy that the summer is over. I guess the summers must be quite brutal in Milan then. Yeah, it's, it's so hot and, and humid. So yeah, I enjoy the summer, but after a while, uh, you just need a change of climate and a change of weather. So yeah, I'm happy about that. Fabio just can't wait for those high gas prices to hit him in winter. Um, so, uh, dear listeners, this is the episode 88. We are September 16, uh, 15, sorry, 2022. And we will be off after this episode for a couple of weeks. We will be back on October 20th. So this will be the last episode for a while. But of course... Um, Unless you are a listener of every week, there's a, a few episodes in the past to catch up on, so you can do that in the meantime. Also, do check out Fabio's uh, podcast if uh, you uh, speak Portuguese or uh, you already speak English, so you can check out the colleagues at Consumer Choice Radio. They are on every week and they continue to do so, so uh, do check them out as well. So Fabi, this week we have two topics that I wanted to address with you and I wanted to start with the lighter one and then we go into the more uh, uh, policy one. So the lighter one here is something that happened last year in Portugal and is similar to some legislation that we see around Europe. France already has it. So in Portugal, uh, companies will now face fines if they text or message uh, their uh, their employees after work hours. So uh, this is uh, this is quite serious legislation, uh, and I assume probably a demand of the trade unions that people feel harassed by their bosses by getting text messages about work uh, after after hours, and this will uh, apply to companies that are based. Uh, in Portugal. So if you're Portuguese and you're working for a foreign company, that will not apply to you. And only for companies uh, with uh, um, uh, more than 10 workers, those with less than 10 workers are exempt from this rule. Um, so, well, I mean, for us, this is obviously different because, I mean, we work as freelancers. But Fabio, your thoughts, getting a text message, I mean, you have worked uh, as an employee for a company uh, full time. Um, how was it for you? Did you feel harassed if you got a text message after work times? I did work for several companies and I did receive a lot of emails and messages after hours. Um, it was it was part of the job. I mean, everybody was receiving uh, emails or things to respond. And um, I, I think that's that's the game. I think especially if you're working for an American company, that's part of the culture. If you work for a European company, uh, maybe less so than, than it would be for, for an American company, I think clearly is part of the culture. Uh, but I understand how that can be annoying for people, uh, especially if you are not in a management position or a higher position in the company and you're making your normal salary and you take as much as responsibility as you can. And to be sometimes uh, annoyed by employees uh, trying or employers trying to uh, to give you more things to do or bringing deadlines to you. I, I understand where they are coming from with this legislation because sometimes it can be, can be annoying and disrespectful to the person's life or personal life because everybody has a personal life outside the office. Uh, but from from what I could gather, because I, I go regularly to Portugal, I have in-laws there, so uh, I've been there recently, now in July and August, and uh, people seem to be kind of happy or at least um, you know, content with the this new legislation because it, it seems that there was something 
they complained about. Um, but we also have to make clear, if you've never been to Portugal, Portugal, it's a very socialist country. So if you drive around, if you walk around, you're going to see uh, commercials, you're going to see billboards, you're going to see uh, a lot of people in the streets giving you pamphlets about socialism, about uh, works, workers' unions. I mean, it's a very socialist country in the sense that the government's also more to the left. So I, I think it's also part of the Portuguese culture and the country's culture, which is very similar as well with Spain. Um, so I can understand the, the reason the government did that and the way that they did that. I particularly don't agree with this legislation. I think there are so many other legislations that are already protect the, the employee. There are so many ways that you can um, go against your, your company if you think you have been harassed or if, you, if it's too much, if they're going after hours or if you're working more than your, your agreement, your contract says so. So there are so many laws that protect, that protect the worker uh, that I don't see why they should create another one specifically to talk about uh, after hours. And it, it was targeted on people that of course, don't work on, on uh, production or manufacturing. is more people that work in offices because they are more connected with their mobile phones, with their computers, and they can do work outside those hours. But we, can, we have also to remember that now with the work from home trend, we have a lot of people that are working from home and you can actually make your own time. So what is the nine to five or the eight to five or what is the regular time that you are available to work? Some people have kids. They have to bring their kids to school in the morning and pick them up in the afternoon so sometimes they work a little bit late in the evening and if you don't have those maybe you stop working at five so if you receive an email from a colleague at eight in the night it might seem too much for you but that's the time they are available so i mean uh i i think that you, we should have some kind of flexibility in the way that we approach this and we all agree, especially if you're listening to this podcast, that more regulation is never the answer or, or most of the time is not the answer to solve those kind of problems. I, I, I agree. I mean, we, we do run into quite a litigation issue here as well, because the legislation says that it can be allowed to text your employees after work hours if it's for emergency purposes. And that, of course, will open a whole can of worms as to what is an emergency in the first place. And you just imagine the situation where employees take their, their, take their employers to, to court over a text message that they receive. And then a judge will have to decide, well, in the context of their work, is this an emergency or not and that will that will really just inundate the, the the labor courts which are already like take way too much time to uh to 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 reach uh to reach verdicts um i also think and that you, you spoke about this the whole flexibility thing i mean the the situation is also that i think with COVID, people have realized that even though their work contract might be stringent on the hours they got flexibility during um during those working from home situations and if you have you are a parent and you are supposed to pick up your kids from school at 4 p.m., but your time only ends at at five, maybe you would be content leaving work, quote unquote, driving to pick up your kids in school and then finishing some of the work later in the evening when you have more peace of mind and the kids are playing or, or whatever. I mean, it's like where you get to pick sort of your moments off when you need them and you can be fully concentrated where it suits you best, which is something, of course, that freelancers have been enjoying for a very long time. And I think employees have only really found out about during COVID and working from home. And I think that's why, um, that's why there's this reaction uh, because this is 2021 that uh, Portugal actually introduced this legislation. I think this is 
clinging on to a model of work that has really been outdated. This nine to five, and I mean, depending on where you are in the world, I mean, I know in China they have a nine to nine. Um, so, so all of this thing is just a bit ridiculous. I, I meet an increasing amount of people that are just so frustrated with their this this idea that they 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 check into the office. That's when they work. If there's no work for an hour, then you just sit there because you're running down the clock. I'm not sure that's really how work is supposed to be. Now, of course, there's there, there's work where that obviously applies. If you work for a call center, then yeah, you have your office hours and you should be on on um, on on demand there, obviously. But there's a lot of people who work on projects, specific projects, and that's what needs to get done. And if you get that done earlier, why shouldn't you be able to go home earlier? And um, if it takes longer, then I think you should also take the responsibility to finish to finish your work. This idea of work hours made sense when people had like long commutes and they didn't have a car and they would have to uh, i don't know i mean back when there were horse carriages and you had to go to work that way to a different completely different place maybe that made sense but i think now we've just kind of overcome that and there's some people and you mentioned you know portugal being very left-wing probably very in in cahoots with the trade unions uh trying to protect this model at all costs and throwing a lot of people under the bus who might actually want this flexibility in my view it sort of should be, you know, individual uh, negotiation with your employer. So what are your needs? Um, I mean, now that we have labor shortages for the first time in quite a while in many different areas, you do have quite some power. You know, when I look around here in Amsterdam and I see like how many waiters everybody's looking for, nobody can find staff for waiters. I was thinking it must be an amazing employment situation for waiters because you can easily quit your job and find a new one somewhere else with better conditions. So a lot of people should not just look to like a higher authority, whether it's the government or the trade unions to try and solve those individual problems, but actually realize the the power they have individually as there is demand for their for their work. Um, and I don't know about you, but I mean, late text, if, especially if something that I need to finish, I, you know, I want to respond to that text because my project is dear to me. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And how do you differentiate between uh, different uh, works? So if you if you have, for example, a, a doctor and you have the hospital, so it's an, it works for a hospital. And then you have your hours, of course, that you work there. But after hours, maybe they send you a message about a patient, about uh, a question about something. Is that urgent or that could have waited a couple of hours then you when you're coming back and nurses and maybe uh, lawyers? I don't know. Every profession has a different way to work and different hours and urgency in different professions also differs a lot. So I don't know how they are going to differentiate between uh, those those type of professions. So that's going to be interesting, uh, especially if you look at some legal cases that might rise from that. Exactly. And I think it's also there should be some awareness on, on, on behalf of the employers. I think that exists already that after hours, it might also be difficult to reach your employee in the first place because they might be doing other things. So it's also on a level of like how pressured do you feel by your employer to answer this email or text message in the first place. I mean, I, the amount of people I know right now that have a do not disturb at any time after, you know, your phone allows you a significant amount of settings that you can yeah. set your apps to not send you notifications after certain times. And, you know, with all those settings existing, it's very possible that your employee might not even be aware. And then you go into the, do I call them at home? Do, you, do I call them on their personal phone? All of these things where I can understand that that can create some friction. 
but the friction should be created not in courts where the whole thing costs a lot of money to both sides, uh, but rather between people. And, you know, I'm not against unions. I think like if you have a representation and you want to talk about, you know, how you were called at home and, and, and you know, just, I don't know, like the, the way you were texted and all that, that's fine. I mean, individually, people can group together and, and talk to their employer. Uh, but I think just legislating, making one general rule for everyone that will certainly leave people out, uh, a lot of people uh, that enjoy flexibility, I don't think that's the right way. I, I know France has this rule already. Uh, pretty sure they've already given fines to people. It's just, I don't know. I mean, what is this this whole, this whole like punitive state? It just never ends. Like everything can be solved with a fine or a ban. I just, I just, it looks very nice. I guess in, in newspapers, I, I read a lot about, I, I've actually read more newspaper articles about this Portuguese law in American outlets than I have in European outlets. Because for Americans, this is like, whoa, I mean, Europe being so advanced, they can't text you after work hours. How good must life be? Uh, but then, you know, you compare productivity between different European countries and those that don't have these rules do end up being a bit more productive than the others, uh, which benefits a lot of people, too. Uh, I don't know if, if you have any parting final thoughts on, on this on this issue, Fabio. No, I agree with you. Um, yeah, the Americans are, they seem at least to be jealous about this legislation. But as you said, it is Tiffel's uh, production, uh, reduces the, um, the productivity. And, and I mean, in, in the long run, I don't think that it's the right way to do it. Yeah, and I think what I've seen from Americans, they do spend a lot of time at work, which is not, I mean, not, not to say that the Americans really got this right. I mean, Americans spend an awful lot of time at work. I'm not sure if that's necessarily also productive because if you just stand around the water cooler for an hour or two chatting to your to your co-workers that's not necessarily productive work so um, I think each individual company and each individual person needs to figure out uh, what the best way to go about this is but we'll definitely see because now that the legislation is in place we'll see sort of what the the effects the ripple effects from from this is going to be and I think that's a great thing about the EU in a way is that individual member states do still get to make their own choices on, on labor regulations. And then we can compare between countries, especially countries that are rather similar, uh, to see uh, to see how uh, you know, the results have been. Anyway, let's move to the next topic. And that's a bit more of a technical one, uh, at least on a political level. Uh, and that is a finance minister uh, of Germany, Christian Lindner. So he is from the uh, Liberal Democrat FDP, uh, which is usually uh, uh, described as business friendly in the media i never quite understand what that's supposed to mean i mean isn't all isn't isn't all government supposed to be somewhat business friendly but anyway um Christian Lindner, he uh, gets criticism from both the left and the right, from the right because he seems to be a bit too spendy right now, which is the, the need of the, of the German, uh, or at least the desire of the German government to give people specific handouts to uh, especially overcome the winter, which will be quite pricey when it comes to energy prices. And also for the companies, because Germany still remains a quite industry-heavy nation that needs uh, that needs a lot of energy. And uh, Germany has a system of the debt break. So this is a constitutionalized rule that doesn't allow the country to take up a certain amount of debt. Now, the country uh, can suspend that uh, for emergency situations. And now for the third year in a row, it seems that Christian Lindner seems somewhat open to that. Germany has also been very hawkish across the European Union on how other member states should be allowed to get funds from the European Union 
uh, for recovery money and how it's supposed to spend it. And that, of course, is not very popular in countries such as Spain or Italy, which believe that uh, a lot more money should be coming downstream from the European Union to spend on infrastructure, logistics and uh, relief for people who are suffering from a reduction in purchasing power. Um, Fabio, you do live in Italy. I, I assume uh, uh, German finance ministers have never been particularly popular in Italy for those budgetary reasons. Uh, it seems that whenever we seem to get back on track to a bit more fiscal discipline, we end up having some sort of crisis that allows governments to say, oh, well, this is an emergency. We need to spend more money. Yes, and what's happening is that since the pandemic has started, uh, Europe and most countries, the United States, a lot of countries in Latin America, they have been in a spending spree. So they were trying to help businesses, helping people, of course, because they uh, locked everybody down. Uh, they made you close your business, stay at home, and people needed financial support. So uh, I understand the, the type of financial support they are trying to give to people. And, but, but that increased a lot uh, debt in a lot of countries. Uh, it made inflation rise substantially because uh, most of the time people are just, or uh, the central banks, they are just printing more money and flooding the market with more money to uh, give money to people. And uh, that created uh, uh, a problem in, in terms of the balance of the economy, uh, fiscal policy, uh, monetary policy in many countries. That added to the, situ the whole situation with the supply chain where uh, products were not available, prices rose even more, creating more inflation. So it was a whole thing that uh, caused the, the situation that we are in right now. Then the war in, in Ukraine uh, furthered that even more. Uh, of course, uh, Europe is very dependent in gas for, for production of electricity, but also for all the other things that we use gas for. Uh, and Germany was highly dependent on the gas from, from Russia. That is something that even Donald Trump said in the, the speech that he gave during the UN. How, and they laughed about him. And they, they laughed they, they, they mocked him because, uh, and, and the media went crazy about that comment because they said, he said that uh, Germany was going to be so reliant that this is going to be a, a very dangerous and risky situation for Germany. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Germany is so reliant, Europe is so reliant on, on natural gas. We import most of our gas from Russia. Now we're just buying gas from China, which is buying gas from Russia. So just a longer way. And China is just putting some markup over that and making more money over us and consumer are paying the price of high energy costs and, and general cost of living has risen a lot in Europe. So, um, of course, we need more austerity. We need to put the, the, the counts and the, the balance sheet back in order. We need to stop spending so much and go to more austerity in terms of economy. But this is a huge problem because we need also to keep growing and keep pushing the economy. So the European Central Bank wants to keep uh, taxes and uh, the uh, main low the 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 main the main taxes so that will incentivize people to consume and, and and continue to grow and production to increase but with high inflation there is no other way than to increase those taxes in order to uh, to to make people to save some money and don't spend that much and keep control of inflation because we have inflation going crazy in so many different countries in Europe then it's a situation that the European Central Bank needs needs to take control but furthermore um, we have now uh, countries with bonds that are respected in the market such as Germany strong bonds uh, being sold to 
pay for debt or insolvency from countries that have less powerful bonds, which is the case of Italy. So basically, the European Central Bank is is buying bonds from from Italy because nobody wants them. Uh, the the rate has gone down in terms of safety to invest on those bonds, and they are selling German bonds to get money to pay for those Italian bonds. And the market is not happy about that because that is creating you're you're buying something that should be a premium. So a good bond, uh, but actually you're financing some terrible bond uh, for a country that has a lot of debt. And that is going for Italy, it's going also for Greece. So uh, I, I understand that Germany is now in this situation as the main country in the European Union in terms of economy and in terms of how it sustains the whole thing. Uh, and, and what he's saying is basically that we need to look at this whole situation and try to fix that out. There is also other things like um, uh, energy companies that now uh, have their cap in terms of prices. So the European Commission now wants to put a cap on price uh, of energy. Uh, that means that the European Union and the central bank will need to print more money to pay for the difference that consumers won't pay. Someone will have to pay for that. Uh, and some companies, uh, Norway company, for example, said that to solve the insolvency, we would need to print something about $1.5 trillion just to solve the insolvency of the energy companies now in Europe. So it's austerity is the only way right now to put uh, the housing order again. And I don't know how we're going to to solve that. It's going to be a very challenging next six to eight months in Italy, especially now during the winter. And I, th I think for energy retailers, it's certainly true that, I mean, so the UK is now getting finally rid of the windfall tax, which, you know, taxes profits of energy companies. The, the issue there, obviously, is that when you tax those profits, I mean, the, the, the energy companies still have to buy wholesale and they don't get a choice on the prices that they get. And that's actually most, I mean, for both the, the distributors, the retailers and so on. That is the, 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 the largest markup of the price is the wholesale prices for energy. And those are not controlled because, I mean, you get your oil from the OPEC countries and you get your gas from uh, Russia or wherever you're getting your, your liquefied nitrogen. Um, uh, li 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 liquefied natural gas, sorry, um, and that's uh, and that's of course a problem for those energy companies. Which I mean, bankrupting bankrupting them is definitely not going to help this winter. Um, what I can also see, though, for the criticism level towards Germany, is that Germany does have two things which um, puts it at an advantage compared to other countries. Uh, first of all. The, the irony is that Germany has something called the Länderfinanzausgleich. So uh, the, Germany is also a, a country made up of 16 different uh, federal states. And some of those states are not very particularly productive, especially those in the, in the east and, 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 and the, the northwest, um, are not particularly uh, good at, um, at keeping their uh, shit together, let's say, financially. And as a result of that, uh, the federal government in Germany does provide a, uh, a, 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 a support for this individual federal state coming from those states that produce a lot. And uh, states such as Bavaria has not been particularly happy about that because it's a very productive, industrious state that do, does have to pay for those others. So on a micro scale, Germany is already practicing that which it criticizes on an EU level. Um, also, Germany will have a relief package for energy-related costs of 65 billion euros, which is actually why Lindner might be forced to, again, uh, stop the debt break, uh, in the constitutional debt break in Germany for the next year's budget. Uh, so, 
it, it doesn't entirely practice what it preaches. Uh, I wish it was. I think the what you've described as the problems with the euro bonds, uh, which we're apparently not calling euro bonds now, the COVID bonds, I don't know exactly, but we've taken up a lot of debt on an EU level and it's the productive countries that will have to pay for it. Um, and as much as I uh, appreciate the, let's say, the, 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 the willingness to extend the European Union for political reasons. Um, Olaf Scholz has just announced he wants to enlarge the European Union even further, especially in the Western Balkans. I'm not sure we're necessarily adding countries that would um, practice the fiscal discipline that's a lot better there. Now, of course, it applies largely to the euro countries because we want to control the euro and a lot of those countries wouldn't join the euro. I mean, probably not in the next 10, 20 years. Uh, but still, it's it's definitely from a perspective of like, well, can we afford right now to renovate tunnels and roads in certain countries in the Western Balkans when some of those countries have clearly made deals with China already, which has shown that they're, you know, sort of on a, on a, on a management perspective, they're not very good at it. So um, I wish that Christian Linder had some courage. Obviously, he does have the problem of being in a minority uh, within the majority government in, in, in Germany. He doesn't have everything to say. He doesn't have the Ministry of Economy, which is pushing him. The Greens are pushing him to spend more. Um, so we'll see. We were promised a hawk on fiscal discipline from Germany, uh, but he is in a three-party coalition, and and I guess he doesn't have all the levers in his hand to to make changes. Yeah, exactly. And part of the critique that he received is because we know in Brussels we have a lot of bureaucrats, and uh, an economy that would be more disciplined in terms of spending, that means less money for the green projects, the Green New Deal, for all the climate change projects in Europe. So no more free money for you to change your car to an electric vehicle. No more money for you to build uh, electric uh, to change your, your matrix of electric source, you're going to build probably nuclear energy or something that it's more reliable and produce more energy than just solar panels, for example. So it's going to put a halt in some of the biggest projects from the European Commission and the European Parliament that I think the, the Brussels is pressing uh, not to put a, a stop on spending on many countries. So they don't want people now and countries just trying to uh, reduce their spending, but increase their spending, especially in climate change related uh, uh, projects. Yeah, and then also the way it tries to raise the money to pay back debt is also with additional new EU-wide taxes. There's a tax on single-use plastics and plastic packaging, which is uh, effective since, uh, well, I think January 21. Then member states do have to pay that money. They will come up with new taxes. Financial transaction taxes is definitely something they want to talk about uh, as well to try and raise that money. But we're still very far off on paying that back. So eventually it will have to be just the member states making more contributions to pay back all this money that they've already given to the citizens. So I'm not quite sure how this makes sense that individual member states will then take up debt in order to pay back the debt of the EU and then the richer countries will have to take up more. So eventually this brings the EU to a question where, you know, who... And you become much larger of a net contributor if you already have a better rating at Moody's and Standard & Poor's and all of that for your, for your debt. So uh, it's definitely not fair 
uh, to those countries that have practiced fiscal discipline in the past. And, you know, there were a lot of countries that were living at large. You know, I mean, Greece is the best example of letting bureaucrats retire very early at high salaries, at high pensions. And those countries are now asking the countries in the north of Europe to pay even more so they can have relief uh, for, for, for an industry that has been riddled with their regulations and taxes. And it's essentially not giving them flexibility. So I think those questions that we had in 2012 we're doing the last sovereign debt crisis, we're going to have again, and we haven't solved it by taking up $750 billion, uh, in, 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 in taxes and what's the whole budget is $1.2 of the EU. I, I, I don't think we've really solved that now. I think we've just postponed it for a while and, and those questions are now coming back up. Now, now that COVID seems to be over, I think we're going back into the conversation as to what is the union supposed to be about in terms of responsibility? Exactly. And I think that uh, it's going to be the biggest test in terms of the fiat currency. So how reliable is fiat currencies? And secondly, the, um, uh, th there was this old saying that, or especially between economists, that there is not a limit for how much a government can spend and not go broke. And that is something that we've been talking about, that no, there is a limit. When you increase that much, you create a huge debt. When you increase uh, the, the availability of currency and you print more money, you actually increase inflation. There are a lot of downsize uh, factors, but there was this concept from the past 20, 30 years that there was no limit. You can spend how much as you want. There is no limit. There are, there are countries going to go broke over printing more money. And I think this is the time. Uh, the energy crisis is going to test those two theories and... And we're going to see the outcome and see if uh, we need to make changes for the way that we do business, especially in, in Europe. It's going to be a tough time. Not financial advice, but I, I would say uh, I buy gold, let's say, <laughs> <laughs> for the next few years. That might might become might become a good uh, savings uh, plan for people. Fabio, it was so great uh, to have you. Do remind people of your Twitter handle and your podcast. Yes, it's also down here in the description, but my Twitter handle is Defaria e Silva. And if you speak Portuguese, I invite you to listen to Liberdade para Escolher, which is our Portuguese podcast. And we talk about consumer issues, economics, a lot of fun things in there as well. And thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. And with Fabio's podcast, you actually get video and not just audio. So uh, do, do go and check that out for those of you who speak Portuguese. Thank you so much, Fabio. And uh, yeah, so for the listeners, I will be off for a while. So uh, I'll see you back on October 20th, uh, Thursday, which was which is going to be when we'll be back, uh, back with the Consumer Podcast, uh, I, I would say hopefully until the end of the year. So uh, thank you so much for listening and uh, see you Thursday. Uh, well, Thursday, 20th, October. You have to learn to pace yourself. Pressure. You're just like everybody.